the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We uh, gather like this every weekend uh, right here at 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey gets us on the air every weekend. And uh, Andrew Herdliska uh, produces everything. He uh, uh, plays a huge role here. Uh, Carl Gallops uh, rejoins us from the Pensacola, Florida area. Uh, senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. Uh, his new book is out, Gods of Ground Zero, The Truth of Eden's Iniquity, Why It Still Matters, and the Mystery Surrounding What's Coming Next. Uh, Carl, great to talk to you. Uh, welcome. Glad to have you back. Hey, Pat Williams. It's so good to be back with you, my friend. Thank you. Tell me about your new book. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's called Gods of Ground Zero. It really is the sequel to the book that was out last year called uh, Gods and Thrones. However, I want your audience to know that both books can be read totally separate from each other. Uh, you do not have to. You do not have to have read uh, Gods and Thrones in order to make perfect sense of Gods of Ground Zero. Let me let me just explain. First of all, let me just deal with the title because you got the word gods, and and of course. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian pastor, and uh, it, it and and so the term gods might throw people off. And then ground zero. Before I do that, let me just tell your audience very quickly. I've been the senior pastor of one church. It's the Southern Baptist Church on the Gulf Coast, up near Pensacola, Florida, for 33 years, and still going. Prior to that, I spent 11 years in Florida law enforcement with two different sheriff's mm. offices under three different sheriffs. One of those, I did my own criminal investigations in conjunction with the criminal investigators. So um, I've got a lot of life experience, and I think like a cop, even when I come to the scriptures, I have for years. I, I like tying pe- things together contextually. I research things out. I tie the evidence. I want to know what people before me, what the precedents are, what the scholars have said, what the ancient scholars have said, what the modern-day scholars are saying. I want to know what the Greek says, what the Hebrews say. I have a Master of Divinity degree in studies in Greek and Hebrew. So I said all of that just to let your audience know that I'm, I'm, I'm not pulling this stuff that I'm going to say out of my back pocket. This, this, this comes from, from decades and decades and decades of research at a very deep level. Now, the book is written so that anybody in the pew can read it, enjoy it, understand it, and say, oh, my gosh, this just changes everything about the way that I understand uh, deep uh, mysteries of the Bible. So now, having said that, brother, the, the title, Gods of Ground Zero, the term gods is a biblical term in the Hebrew, um, and it just, well, ha- thou shalt have no other gods before you, okay? So what's, what's the Lord God talking about? Well, that word comes from the word Elohim, gods. Um, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, all right? But when it's used singularly, where it goes on to say, he said, let there be light. He said, let there be dry ground. He said, let the seas be separated from the firmament. He said, well, then we know that it's speaking singularly of the one true creator God. But when you see Elohim in the the context with plural, and the Elohim, um, they gathered or they said, well, now we know we're talking about gods in plural, little g with an s. And we, our English word is like that. The word, um, excuse me, our English words, like the word deer or buffalo. If I say, look at the deer, well, you need some context because there is no deers. <laughs> it's, it's either a deer or a herd of deer. It depends upon the words that are around it. Okay, so when we see the term like in the, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and what, what the implication is, God is saying, because I am the one true God, the word Elohim would be used in both cases. Thou shalt have no other Elohim before me, because I am Elohim. All right, now that we understand that, now your audience understands clearly that the term gods on the front of my book means the fallen realm, 
the demonic realm, the realm that's under the authority of Satan, whom Jesus calls the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world for, for right now. Now, gods, all right, the fallen realm of ground zero. Is that New York City? No, as tragic as New York City was, the, 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 the largest terrorist attack in U.S. mainland history, and by the way, the largest targeted, concerted terrorist attack the planet has ever seen to date, Ground Zero New York City. But the Ground Zero of my book is not that. I go all the way back to the beginning. The true Ground Zero, Pat, is the Garden of Eden. We have turned it into a children's bedtime caricature of a walking, talking snake handing a woman an apple. That's not what happened in the garden. That's not what the garden narrative is about. The garden narrative explains the whole rest of the Bible. It explains all of life. It explains everything that's going on in the world. It explains the, uh, uh, the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation. It explains what's happening in the Middle East. It explains what's happening in Israel. It explains what's happening in Jerusalem and the fight over the Temple Mount, the fight over Jerusalem itself, why the nations are in an uproar even today. And so the book unpacks all of this truth from the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation. By the way, the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the, the subtitle in most of the English translations before you get to reading the actual text, it says, The Restoration of Eden. Eden Restored. Oh my gosh! So Genesis 3 starts off with the fall of Eden, and the very last words of the Bible are about God is restoring everything. Eden will be restored. And when you read chapter 22, what do you read? The river of life is there. The tree of life is there. The presence of God is there. And the Lamb. I mean, everything that's, that's, that's connected to the original Garden of Eden has now been restored. So as I said, that's what the whole Bible's about. That's what Jesus was about. That's what the cross was about. That's what the resurrection was about. It was all about restoring what was taken from the beginning. And by the way, the Garden of Eden explains why there's death, disease, crime, corruption, filth, war, uh, um, uh, perversion. The Garden of Eden explains why there's a heaven and a hell. The Garden of Eden explains why the whole world has fallen, why every person, all seven billion people on the planet have a sin nature. You see, you can tell I'm a little passionate about all of my years preaching and teaching and studying and digging, realizing that the westernized church, especially in America, has completely missed the point <laughs> of, of life and the Word of God. I mean, you know, we focus in on the fluffy parts. We focus in on the feel-good parts, you know, how, how to have your best life now and how to feel good about yourself and, you know, in four ways to make more money because God wants you to be rich and all that stuff. And, you know, come to Jesus. He loves you. Let's get saved. Join our church. Give us your money. Sit on a pew. But that's how we do it in America. But that's not what this is about. It is about the horrendous, uh, uh, occurrence of the Garden of Eden that spit in God's face, that caused God to push the reset button during the days of Noah and destroy everything, to start it over, and then to begin the restoration process. When we get to the book of Revelation, what do we read about Jesus? He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Well, that tells us that God knew all along what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, where it was going to go, and what he was going to do about it. So that's the book. The book is about all of that, and I'm telling you, I don't have time today, of course, to unpack all the details. That's why I'm urging your folks to, to, to pick up a copy of the book and share it with other people. But it is filled with answering the deep, deep mysteries of life and the biblical narrative and again, it's written in a way that anybody that's sitting on the church pew in America can pick it up, read it, enjoy it, understand it, and talk about it, and pass it on to others. And it will completely transform the way that you think about the Word of God. Uh, Carl, when we come back, we got a break coming up, yep. but when we come back, uh, there are four parts to your book that we need to get into. Part one, the primor primordial. I think I said that right. Number two. Yep. The, in, the, the iniquity. Number three, the objections. Number four, the connections. 
Yeah. In thir- and, and Carl, in, in closing, in 30 seconds, uh, tell us about your church. Yeah, thank you. It's called Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. That's an odd name, but that's the name of the road that it's on, like an Olive Road Baptist Church or a Thomas Road. This is Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. It's in Milton, Florida, right outside of Pensacola. Southern Baptist by denomination, but we just, you know, we don't major on denominational stuff there. We just major on standing in the Word of God, exalting the name of Jesus, and doing missions around the world. I've been the pastor there 33 years. It's an amazing church. We are literally reaching the world for the gospel of Jesus. Uh, You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More with Carl Gallops right after this. Carl Gallops is with us. Uh, Carl, as uh, we mentioned, part one, the primordial, uh, what is that all about? Eleven chapters, yeah. what, what are you writing? Yeah, thank you. Well, let me just say that there are uh, 42 chapters in this book, but the chapters only average five pages. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've written a lot of books over the years, and I've learned over the years uh, to write short, punchy, uh, exciting chapters and just keep moving forward. And so that's what my book does. So when you open the table of contents, you say, 42 chapters, oh my gosh. Oh, but they're quick, easy reads. Yeah, the first section, the primordial, and of course you and your audience know that the, the, the term primordial means way back at the beginning, way, way back in ancient history. And the first 11 chapters deal with the primordial. And it just, it starts off, the very first chapter starts off with a real live angelic visitation experience that I have first-hand knowledge of, just demonstrating the fact that angels and humanity are, are both real uh, uh, entities, they're both real dimensions of physical reality, and they do interact. The Word of God tells us that. There are many anecdotal uh, uh, testimonies down through history of that fact, um, but, uh, but it is a centerpiece of the Word of God. And I help people understand it in this section on the primordial by, by this illustration. Think of the the sea creatures at the very deepest bottoms of the ocean, two, three, four, five miles deep. They have no clue that 7 billion human beings and 25 million species of other life forms exist just above them, four or five miles up through the surface of the water. That four or five miles up from the bottom of the ocean is impenetrable to them. They can't imagine. There's nothing but darkness up there and, and around them. But if they could break through the surface and then become a human being so that they could experience it as we do, they would be blown away to see that all around them, all along, existed another physical dimension, just as real as they are, just as flesh and blood as they are, but a different kind of flesh and blood, but yet it is here. Okay? So there's a perfect illustration of what the Word of God has been telling us for thousands of years. We are not alone, you know. There aren't little green men on other planets, but there are other dimensions of reality. We're at the bottom of the ocean. One day, the Lord is going to allow us to break through and to see everything. That's what the Word of God says. So the primordial just deals with all of those truths, and then it moves right into the Garden of Eden, the account. It ties a lot of loose ends together that people do have not made the connections to, but the scholars have. And I quote scholars throughout, I quote the scriptures and the connections throughout, I quote the Hebrew and Greek lexicons. Um, again, I've got a master's degree in that, I know what I'm talking about. I quote modern-day Greek and Hebrews language expert to show the people that I'm, I'm not pulling this stuff out of my back pocket. I'm making connections about the Garden of Eden narrative throughout the scriptures that you very seldom hear preached from any pulpits, but yet it's right there in the Bible and has been all along. That's section one. Let's get to part two. It's called the iniquity. Fill us in, Carl. Yeah, well, very quickly, and that's the part that, I mean, I could literally take an hour or two to get into all the nitty-gritty details. So again, your audience, please pick up the book and read it. I think you'll be blown away by what you're going to read. But the iniquity speaks of just what happened in the garden? What was that all about? Bottom line, for the sake of this interview, brother, and thank you for giving it to me, is that the the serpent, the trees, the fruit, the eating of the fruit, all of those are metaphors. Now, the garden is not a metaphor. There's a real Garden of Eden. There's a real Adam. There's a real Eve. They're spoken of all through the Bible. Really, sin happened. Real death happened. Real punishment happened. But the garden 
I mean, the serpent, the walking, talking snake, uh, the eating of a piece of fruit, the trees, throughout the scriptures, we are shown over and over and over again that those are metaphors. As a matter of fact, there are scriptures that I reveal that are in, in the Word of God where it literally says the trees in the Garden of Eden are symbols of something else. The eating of the fruit is, is symbolic of much deeper uh, uh, perversion than simply just winking and disobeying at God and say, I see this pretty apple, you told me not to eat it, I'm going to eat it anyway. No, no. So, and the, and the walking, talking snake, you get to the book of Revelation, you go to Ezekiel 28, you go to Revelation 12, Revelation 20, 2 Corinthians 11, all of those passages and more tell us that was not a walking, talking snake, literally. It was Satan himself. Even Jesus speaks of Satan as a tree in the garden, out of Jesus' mouth. I know a lot of your listeners are saying, I don't remember him saying that. I know, because you never hear it preached or taught, but you're going to see it in my book. I'm going to quote the scripture. I'm going to go to the Greek language. I'm going to tie it to the other scriptures, and then I'm going to go to the scholars who have seen it for ages, but, but, but people don't want to preach it and teach it. So that's what the second uh, section is about in detail, called the iniquity. Uh, part three is called the objections. Uh, what's yeah. that mean, Carl? Yeah, here's what that means. I love writing this way, and people love it that I write this way. This is my cop background. So after I make my case, I go back through and try to tear my case up using the objections that people have to things that I might be saying. And I scour the Internet. I, I go back through my life experience of people saying, well, now, wait a minute, you're saying this, but that doesn't make sense. Or I'll scour the Internet and, and look at various people who say, well, some people say this and some people say that, but they're wrong. And so I just deal with the objections. And I'm very nice about it. I don't, I don't disparage anyone. But this is being a good investigator. See, if somebody tells me that Pat Williams has committed a horrific crime and I'm in charge of investigating you, uh, the way that I'm going to start that investigation, and most good investigators will do this, I will try to prove to myself that you did not do it. I don't go out and try to prove that you did do it because I can then just kind of build a hypothetical case against you and convince myself you did it and focus in on you and kind of make the fat facts fit what I want. I start by saying, I'm going to try to prove that Pat Williams did not do that crime. And if I can do that, then I need to move on. Uh, but if I can't do it, and I'm trying to exonerate you, but I can't. You have no alibi. You have no witnesses. Your DNA is there. Your fingerprints are there. You know, then I can focus in. Well, that's what this section of the book does. I honestly deal with the objections that people have to the various uh, uh, amazing things that I'm presenting. And so that's what that section is about. I think it's an honest way to deal with a very tough subject. So I put a whole section in there. I think there's six or seven chapters called The Objections, and I just go through them. And then, Carl, we move to part four, which is called The Connections. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, that's my favorite part, I think. Well, all of the sections. <laughs> but, it, but I love ending a book this way, and particularly this one, where I take another six or seven, eight, nine chapters, and I say, okay. Now, let's take everything we've learned, and let's make theological application. In other words, how does that answer other biblical questions that are connected? And then, But most importantly, let's make life application connections. What does what we have learned have to do with our life, my life, your life? Uh, what does it have to do with the times we're living in, 2018 right now? What, it is, what does it have to do with... What's happening geopolitically around the world? What's happening in America with fake news, deep state? What's happening in the Middle East with Russia and China in the Middle East and Turkey falling into an Islamic caliphate, Israel being surrounded by an alliance of nations that hated and want it destroyed? What's going on in the world? Why is it that Jerusalem can be named the embassy of America and the whole world goes ballistic? What's all that about? Now that we've learned what we've learned, we can make all of these connections and so much more that just literally 
brings the Bible alive. It brings the life alive. Listen, I had two New York Times best-selling authors that I gave my early manuscript to to ask them to read this uh, as as a review before I did the heavy edit and put, and put it out there. Uh, both of them wrote me back and raved about it, but one of them wrote me back, and he started his email. He says, Carl, this explains everything, exclamation point. <laughs> and so, and, and what he meant, and then he went on to just rave about it. He says, I finally get it. I understand what life is about now. I understand why I am the way I am and why people are. I understand what's in the headline news. I understand the deep state now. I understand what's happening in the Middle East. I understand the anger and the angst and the vitriol against Jerusalem and Israel. I get it. I get it. He says, your book has opened my eyes to life. He said, this literally explains everything. So I hope that your audience will have the same kind of uh, experience when they read this. I think the Lord's really, really going to use this. He's already used it in the lives of those who have uh, done the pre-reading path. Carl, uh, summarize for us what we've been talking about here. What do you want people specifically to do, to take, to, uh, to put shoe leather to? What, uh, what's our next step? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. How much time do I have, brother? Uh, four minutes. Okay, good. Well, yeah, first of all, let me just um, say that uh, people, I, I, I do want to say this, brother, and you might have been going to ask me this. I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but it ties to what you're saying. First of all, to put everything in context, I want to tell people where they can find me and reach me. Just my, my website, carlgallops.com. That's my name, C-A-R-L-G-A-L-L-U-P-S.com. They can go there. They can see all of, I mean, thousands, links to thousands of videos I've done, teaching videos, uh, articles, the books, uh, the church, the link to the church that I pastor. Again, my context is 11 years of law enforcement, and part of that in criminal investigations, 35 years of ministry, 33 years in one church as the senior pastor, preaching, teaching, writing books all over TV and radio, defending the Word of God. Uh, so that's the context to this book, Gods of Ground Zero. And what I want pe- to t- people to take away is, look, I, 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 if, if you get this one book alone and read this one book alone, and of course the book is the Word of God, but I mean this book along with the Word of God, you, you put them side by side, and, and it will, this book will truly illuminate the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, I truly believe, like you've probably never seen before. And it will help you like that New York Times bestselling offer I was just telling you about. It, I, I think you'll walk away saying, I get it now. This explains practically everything. <laughs> and so that's, 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 my, that's my takeaway, is I just want people to know the seriousness of what's happening in the world, the seriousness of the Word of God, the seriousness of life. This is a boot camp. This is a proving ground. God's in the process of doing something, Pat. He's weeding out the wheat from the tares. Jesus is going to eventually come back. There is going to be a restitution of all things. The Garden of Eden, from the beginning, our, Peter says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, our divine nature will be restored. Now, that divine nature doesn't mean we're going to be some kind of gods, but it means we'll be like Adam and Eve. It'll be like it was supposed to be from the beginning. That's what the cross was about. That's what the resurrection was about, so that there will be no more. Well, Revelation 21 says that in that day there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more crying. The old order of things has passed away, and everything has been made new. And then you flip the page to Revelation 22, and what do you see? A restored Garden of Eden. So I want your audience to know it all begins with chapter 3. And that narrative of the Garden of Eden is not meant to be read in one little chapter and then forget about it and move forward. The whole rest of the Bible is connected to that. It's a metaphor for something deep and dark and nasty and horrific that caused the fall of everything. And But the good news is God has fixed it. He's in the process of restoring it all through Jesus Christ everything that he's doing. It'll change the way you share the gospel with people. It'll change the passion you have for missions. So anyway, that's 
That's, I just want people to pick it up, get the book, read it. If you think it's worthy of it, take it to your Sunday school teachers, take it to your pastors. It'll transform their understanding of God's Word and how to properly present what God's up to. Carl, what's next in your life? Oh, my gosh. I, the, the Lord has just blessed me. I'm going to ride the wave while it's still coming in, and God has me on top of it. I'm all over the world, brother. I'm headed out to New York City tomorrow. I'm doing a big prophecy conference up there. From there, I'm flying to Birmingham, Alabama, doing television shows. From there, I'm flying to Oklahoma, doing more television shows. From there, I'm flying to Missouri, doing more television shows. Then I'm back on the Gulf Coast, doing more television shows. Then I'm flying out again next Monday, headed back to Missouri. I think I'm headed to the Jim Baker Show for two or three days filming. Uh, and I've got another book in the works that's coming out next year with Defender Publishing. That's what's going on in my life. Plus, I pastor this, this church as the senior pastor. I've got a great staff that helps me, obviously. And I have my own radio programs, too. So, again, all of that's at callgallus.com, but that's what's going on in my life. All praise to Jesus, and thank you for asking me, Pat. <laughs> Carl, <clears throat> Carl Gallup's our guest, Gods of Ground Zero, the name of his book. We've got more after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, this is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Our guest in that first segment, Carl Gallup's, uh, talking about his book, Gods of Ground Zero. We go to the Pentagon. Uh, Bob McGinnis is there, a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, retired. National Security and Foreign Affairs Analyst for Moody Broadcasting Radio Network. His book is out. It's called Alliance of Evil. Russia, China, the United States, and a new Cold War has the mystery of the end times finally arrived. Uh, Bob, so nice of you to join me. How are you? I'm doing well, Pat. Thanks for having me today. Tell me about your book. Well, yeah, I was uh, you know, served in, in Korea uh, on the demilitarized zone. I served in the Iron Curtain at Folda Gap, which was the, the center of mass where the Soviets were supposed to attack. I lived through an era of, you know, of great tension uh, during the Cold War. And when the Cold War ended in 1991, I think there was general relief across the world. Well, over the last few years, I begin to see all the indications of a new Cold War, and not just one with Russia, but one with China as well. And so that prompted me to write Alliance of Evil. And I begin really with, you know, 16 indicators of, uh, what I see as a new dual Cold War, and it's confirmed every day as we look at the news around the world and especially see the antagonism between the United States, the West, and Russia and China in particular. And so that's why I wrote it, and the book, I think, you know, makes a compelling case as to uh, why this could, in fact, be, you know, especially for a Christian community, uh, a precursor or yeah, I'll lead up to the end times. Uh, Bob, the first chapter is called The Case for a New Dual Cold War. <clears throat> Tell us about that. Well, I go through, as I indicated, you know, Pat, uh, 16 indi- indications. Um, first, there's the diplomatic, and if you understand what's been going on between uh, the three countries, you know, we've sent a lot of people home packing. Uh, we found a lot of uh, activities in embassies and around them and, you know, a lack of cooperation internationally at various fora like the United Nations and the like. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, that leads into the whole ideological battle. You know, the old communists, uh, we used to battle with the Soviet Union where democracy versus communism, and you saw it in the third world, and, of course, you know, you, you saw a lot of tension uh, in that regard. Well, this is a new ideological war. Uh, we're dealing with authoritarians by the name of Vladimir Putin, uh, who is very popular at home, and he brings a reformist type of uh, uh, you know, agenda to his country and one that uh, brings order uh, to uh, chaos, according to him. Now, in comparison uh, to the nihilistic, you know, me generation of the West and he points out that, uh, look, I have the endorsement of the Russian Orthodox Church, and you Westerners want to drag us through the muck of the world. And, and so he really pre- presents a very different viewpoint. And then, of course, President Xi Jinping of China you know, takes a 
fairly similar approach. Uh, he's really the new Mao Zedong of uh, 2018, a man that's going to rule for life that is very authoritarian, but he's very nationalistic. And, and that's really catching fire in China. And, of course, his global reach, his global ambitions are beginning to demonstrate to us clearly that uh, yeah, China is a major power that is going to confront the United States, not only militarily, but elsewhere. So I, I go through the ide ideology. Uh, the whole espionage issue is very sensitive. You know, we you know, read in the papers about uh, the loss of intellectual power. I know President Trump talks about in excess of $300 billion of intellectual, power, uh, intellectual property we lose every year to the, the likes of the Chinese and the Russians. And so espionage is very clear. Uh, 25,000 uh, spies, we think, are here from China in the United States. And there was just an article the other day in Politico uh, that talked about how the Chinese have really um, spied up out there in Silicon Valley to rob us of all the crown jewels of technology of the United States. So technology I go through. You know, trade and economic, uh, everybody knows about the tariffs, uh, the trade war that is beginning to brew in a very serious way. You know, the president just yesterday reimposed uh, some more tariffs against Chinese products. Uh, of course, the trade balance is very much in the uh, Chinese favor, and the president, uh, rightly so, is beginning to uh, bring that around. But there's a very serious trade war and also a war over uh, commodities and resources, natural resources, whether in the Arctic or elsewhere in the world. Uh, this, this war is really heating up. Uh, we have a, a war in terms of defense expenditures. You know, what most people don't understand when they look at our budget and the president's likely to sign the FY 2019 budget that's going to give the Pentagon about $17 and, uh, $717 billion. That's a lot of money, but half of that goes directly to personnel. And so when you compare that to the Chinese budget, which only a very small fraction goes in fact, the Chinese arguably are spending more on their national defense than we are when you exclude personnel costs. You know, it's expensive to keep the people here at the Pentagon. Uh, we pay a lot more for these people than the Chinese do for their senior leaders. So, you know, expenditures are distorted in the press, and so I deal with that in Alliance of Evil. Uh, I go through the sophisticated killing machines that we're now beginning to see, the anti-satellite, uh, certainly the, the, uh, the new modern uh, rocket systems, uh, the hypersonics, uh, the Chinese just tested one that, you know, they said goes six times faster than sound, can penetrate any air defense system, uh, and therefore is a real danger. They're ahead of us, arguably, uh, in this particular technology, which is really capable of carrying nuclear weapons. So, you know, we're talking about a new arms race and killing machines uh, governed and overseen by artificial intelligence that uh, only uh, were unfathomable a few years ago that are really now on the cutting edge. Uh, we've also, in the press and through public statements, declared each other the enemy. The Chinese you know, designed their military around trying to defeat our capabilities, and the Russians do much the same in their doctrine, in their publication, and in their national security statements. Uh, where we are stationed is another indicator. Uh, we've seen a, a, a major expansion where the Chinese are. Uh, they've, you know, the People's Liberation Army has a civilian front, but they also, when they go out, they, they buy up facilities, they buy up ports, they run the Panama Canal, the Suez Canal. Uh, they, they just purchased basically through a 100-year lease for Sri Lanka off the southeast corner of India. Uh, they are, have a facility in Djibouti. Uh, they are you know, buying up facilities in Western Europe and, of course, throughout Central and South America they have facilities, as well as claiming uh, sovereignty over the South China Sea. So the Chinese are a global force. Uh, they are now beginning to see uh, their forces, the, the chief of naval operations just declared, that we're seeing, unlike any time since the Cold War, more activity by both the Russians and the Chinese in the North Atlantic, much less in the Pacific. North Atlantic, of course, was always the contention point between the U.S. 
and the Russians with submarines and the like. And now uh, the level of activity is much higher. The Russians are also elsewhere. They're in Syria. They're working with the Iranians. They're expanding into the Caucasus. They're, they're all over the world. Even after a few years of, of not having much of a footprint. So uh, the, what I call the military posture worldwide has changed. Certainly the nuclear actions uh, have changed. Not only have they violated uh, past agreements, New START, uh, IMF, and so forth, and I'm talking about the Russians primarily, but they're investing significantly in capability, new modern uh, missile systems for both you know, mobile on the ground and submarine launch ballistic missiles. Uh, the Chinese are doing much the same. The Chinese have underground facilities a lot of people don't know about that are uh, in excess of 3,000 miles underground where they have all sorts of secret operations that uh, they have launchers and the like. Yeah, their official numbers are much smaller than the Russians, but today you know, we and the Russians, of course, have maybe 90% of the nuclear weapons, but theirs are becoming more sophisticated and more capable, as Vladimir Putin announced on the 1st of March when he spoke to the Russian nation about all the modern stuff that uh, they, the Russian military, are developing. Uh, we certainly see security threats uh, increasing, uh, and it's, it's not just on the high seas, uh, but it's in the air. We're finding more Russian bombers off the West Coast and some off the East uh, since the Cold War. Uh, we had not until the last couple of years seen Russian trawlers uh, you know, off the East Coast of the United States, especially near some of our nuclear sites. Uh, we've seen them tracking some of the underwater cables, things that uh, they hadn't done for years and years, and they're now doing again. I argue in Alliance for Evil that China and Russia are indeed moving much closer to an alliance. Now, we, we belong to an alliance. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization has been around since the late 40s, uh, and it includes 29 of our best allies. Uh, arguably, they aren't all contributing enough, but you know, we at least have an alliance that says a mutual defense. If someone attacks one of those nations, all the rest will attack that uh, perpetrator. Well, the Russians and the Chinese have never formalized their agreements, but over the last couple of years, we begin to see evidence that uh, there is more of a military alliance, uh, and it's taking on the appearances of a true alliance. And, and there are plenty of things I go into in Alliance for Evil and that. Uh, certainly the growing confrontations, which I alluded to moments ago, in the South China Sea, where they claim sovereignty, in the air or in the Black Sea, where they are constantly attacking or strafing our vessels ashore or aircraft over, overhead. All the Baltics, we constantly see the Russians playing games up there with NATO allies. I mean, the level of activity by both the Chinese and the Russians against the West in terms of military uh, engagements, it's radically increased over the last couple of years. Uh, certainly the people of all our countries uh, are talking more about this particular issue. They seem to think, and I think rightly so if you read the press, that you know, inevitably war is on the horizon. Uh, nobody's going to say it's a year, 10 years, or however, but the tensions are rising, and the, the press and the people, based on surveys, suggested, you know, this is something that we need to be concerned about. And another indication of a, you know, growing dual Cold War, uh, the official statements are much the same, whether it's out of uh, Putin or Medvedev or uh, President Xi or some of their proxies, uh, Rouhani of Iran or Kim Jong-un of uh, North Korea. Uh, they, them and their proxies are saying much the same, that uh, War and rattling the, the saber is something that uh, we haven't heard at this level uh, since the end of the Cold War in 1991. Uh, certainly fractured nuclear agreements uh, are very important. Uh, I know uh, former Soviet leader Gorbachev warned that we're at a dangerous point. That's a quote. And it's because you know, we are starting to make new tactical nuclear weapons uh, in response to Soviet doctrine that says that uh, they're willing to use tactical nuclear weapons as a distraction uh, in attacking NATO. 
this is in their 2015 doctrine. So we took it seriously, and in the new nuclear posture review published earlier this year, the president said, you know, uh, we're going to start taking action to prepare ourselves. And the Congress just, in the 2019 uh, Defense Authorization Act, gives the the Pentagon the go-ahead to uh, renew and to make more effective nuclear weapons. So that's another indication. And, of course, uh, the INF, or I mean the uh, INF, of course, expired uh, after many numerous violations, according to the State Department, on intermediate-range nuclear-capable systems in Europe. But it's the new START, the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, that is expiring in two years. Now, that's something that President Trump spoke with Vladimir Putin when he went to the summit over in Helsinki, Um, but we haven't seen progress. And two years is not a long time to renew a strategic arms reduction treaty. So we may not get that, and therefore that arms race uh, picks up. My guest, Bob McGinnis, author of Alliance of Evil. Uh, We've got more with Bob. But first, these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Bob McGinnis, the author of Alliance of Evil, has joined us from his office in the Pentagon. I want to jump, Bob, to Chapter 7. It says, China, Russia, and the U.S. in the prophetic end times... Uh, what are you writing there? Well, a lot of people interpret uh, Russia and perhaps Vladimir Putin as uh, Gog and Magog. Uh, and then many people will interpret uh, a portion of Scripture out of Revelation as indicating, and Ezekiel and elsewhere, as indicating that yeah, the end battle, Armageddon, is going to be joined by uh, a massive Chinese throng of 200 million. Uh, and my warning is that, uh, I, you know, we need to be careful about trying to encrypt or believe that God encrypted in the Bible um, nations that did not exist uh, years ago when uh, the people that wrote these scriptures uh, sat down. They didn't know that Russia or China existed. They certainly didn't exist in the form that they do today. Uh, now, that doesn't you know, take away from what the Scripture says. The Scripture is going to be fulfilled as it declares. Uh, what I'm saying is that I'm not certain that today's trying times and you know, very you know, frightening scenario could, in fact, involve directly Russia and China. Now, at the same time, I'm not saying it, you know, it's given what I'm seeing, that, uh, that in fact it could. Uh, and that's why on the front of the book uh, we say this could be a proxy or a, a lead-up to those in time. Uh, because, you know, look at the weapon systems, you know, the hypersonic uh, nuclear systems that can penetrate any known air defense, the, the space wars with the Chinese you know, using space a lot more and putting arms up there as well as the Russians. Uh, look at the you know, grasp of artificial intelligence and the robotic revolution. You know, we're, we're just holding our own, but perhaps falling behind of the Chinese who are over-investing in these sorts of things. And then, of course, they're incredibly hegemonic around the world. So when you look at this and the number of allies that they're either buying up or they're intimidating, which is growing by the day, uh, we paint a scenario that is indeed very frightening and reminiscent of end-time scriptures. So uh, I would not totally dismiss, but I would not subscribe totally either uh, to the idea that Russia and China are, in fact, uh, uh, the perpetrators of you know, what would be interpreted as the, the final battles there at Armageddon, as spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation and elsewhere. Uh, what do you want people to take from your book and, and our discussion? What, what's your hope here, Bob? Well, it's important that they recognize that we're in a new paradigm. That new paradigm you know, comes in the wake of the fact that 
the United States of America has been a very powerful nation uh, after World War II. And it continued to be a powerful nation and a unipolar world power after the fall of the Soviet Union. Well, now in 2018, things have radically changed. We have near-peer competitors, much like the national security strategy and national defense strategy uh, illuminate. Uh, they are capable, and they are building their capability, and they declare us the enemy. And we, in fact, are in a new dual Cold War, which is demonstrated by four very specific battlegrounds. The cyber battleground, which threatens our infrastructure and threatens our very bank accounts individually, an economic war, uh, which, of course, uh, you see played out on the front pages of all the papers every day around the world. Uh, we're in a war uh, over a new arms race and new weaponry, uh, killing machines that are unfathomable for most people, uh, and some of which we secretly develop, but the Chinese are pouring every bit of extra money they have in developing killing machines that are very sophisticated things that most of us can't imagine. Uh, and then, of course, we have an ideological war, which is very different. You know, we in the West are you know, portrayed, uh, certainly in China and Russia, uh, as a lost cause, morally bankrupt, uh, narcissistic, uh, egotistical, uh, demanding. Uh, we have plenty of hubris uh, to go around for the world, and they're saying, look, you know, they're not the image that we want to make our people and our republics, and our countries after. Uh, and so they're, they're beginning to divide the world in a way that we saw only in the old Cold War, where people either lined up with the Russians or lined up with us. And, and that's, it's going to be a more sophisticated ideological battle. So those four battlegrounds, you know, 16 indicators I've indicated, Pat, and then, of course, the, the end times and understanding how to read these current times in view of Scripture, which I think every Christian must do on their own, uh, but they can be informed by these, this particular information. So after people finish your book, Bob, what are we meant to do? Well, clearly, I think you have to be in prayer. You have to communicate with your members of Congress, insist that they you know, harden our cyber facilities, that they uh, do what's necessary to arm the country by encouraging the right types of acquisitions of new weapons, uh, the diplomacy that we exercise around the world. Economically, we have to you know, preserve American jobs. We have to maintain fair competition, as the president outlined. Uh, and then ideologically, you know, I think that's where we're probably going to lose the most, because people look at our country, they may be envious of our wealth, uh, but at the same time, they're not envy of, us, uh, of our moral bankruptcy in, in many issues. And I certainly think of Barack Obama when he went overseas. He was promoting an America that I don't like uh, in terms of you know, homosexual marriage, in terms of you know, all sorts of debauchery out there. And, and that's just the nature of uh, the progressives that have, uh, unfortunately, under the likes of Barack Obama and others, in this country would portray us elsewhere. And the rest of the world doesn't like that. And so the ideological war is very real, and I don't think we're doing well. So those battlegrounds are important to keep in prayer and to educate ourselves and to insist that our elected leaders do the right sorts of things. And I hope that you know we're hearing more about the truth of these issues, uh, certainly in our churches, uh, because it truly is uh, a worldwide effort here, and at this point, you know, we are, in many cases, sound asleep, uh, given these threats. Bob, how do you evaluate uh, Donald Trump's first two years in office? Well, he's fulfilled most of his promises, unlike any politician that's ever come before him. You know, I don't necessarily like some of the approaches that he used for communicating, but in the modern era... You know, especially as he talks about the fake news, and I know the, the news people better than many because I've been doing this here in Washington for decades. Uh, so he tries to circumvent that. And it's frustrating to a lot of us, I think, but uh, the reality is he, I think he's doing a very good job. Um, he's confronting these ty tyrants, whether in Iran, North Korea, uh, you know, certainly in China or in Russia. Uh, he, he's a man of his word. And, 
you know, that is so refreshing given what we've had in the past. And uh, he certainly is outspoken. Well, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, in a world where you are often either intimidated and close hold or you're confrontational, especially when it comes down to basic values. And, and I think in the most part, you know, he, he's, a, he's a guy of basic values. That, you know, you're not going to steal our job. You're not going to have an unfair trade uh, policy. You're going to play by uh, with us straight. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're going to build a capability that threatens uh, our neighbors, we're going to push back. If you're going to threaten to destroy us, we're going to push back. Uh, I think that's rather refreshing for most of us that you know feel tired of, of listening to those that are apologists for the United States. Bob, I'm <clears throat> so glad we could visit. Congratulations on your book. It's an eye-opener. Alliance of Evil, uh, Bob McGinnis, Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Army, retired, has been our guest. Uh, so nice to visit with you, Bob. All the best to you. Well, thank you very much, Pat. We have a wrap-up right after this. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. Uh, we gather like this every weekend, and we're very, very happy when you, uh, you plug in with us. So we'll wrap things up in just a second, and uh, we'll be right back. Folks, thanks for joining me here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Carl Gallops uh, from the uh, uh, Pensacola, Florida area was our guest in the first half hour, talking about his book, Gods of Ground Zero. And then we swung over to the Pentagon, and there was Bob McGinnis uh, talking to us about his book, Alliance of Evil. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, you might want to check out my most recent book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, It's a look at the great John Wooden and the summer uh, camps that he ran in the L.A. area for many years and uh, the impact that had on so many young people. Well, have a wonderful week ahead. Make sure you're in church tomorrow morning. And we'll be back for more next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.